With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Some people say that rappers don't have feelings. We have feelings. We have feelings. Some people say that we are not rappers. We're rappers. That hurts our feelings. Hurts our feelings when you say we're not rappers. Okay, that was an interesting one. I don't know why I picked that. Well, this is Stephen Brandt. You're listening to Blog Talk Radio's Yellow Carded Podcast. And I'm I'm actually joined this week by the co-host, Keith Kokinda. I was joined last week by Derek Ritchie, which I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's sitting back and listening to after this. Um, coming up, we've got um, Christopher Dwyer talking about his historical soccer fiction World Cup book, Thirty Days Across Thirty Days Across America. We're gonna. This is gonna be somewhat of an issue show. I'm kind of mad about some things, and it's it's probably why when I went to the doctor this afternoon, blood pressure reading was really fun. But the <laughs> as Keith has known, I've been fighting this since February. Anyway, I seek. I seek. <coughs> I see Christopher Dwyer on. I want to look wrong. Hey, Christopher, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Hello, you're on Yellow, Yellow Card Podcast, Stephen Brandt. Hey, Chris. Uh, are you talking to me? Dang it, dang it, music man! You gotta stop changing your. You gotta stop changing where you're calling from. No, I'm sorry. I was at the gym and I was just calling to listen, and then it just said, like I'm like, you can't be talking to me. Um, well, I guess while I'm on, um, uh, I happen to say my friend who teaches at Reynolds High School, uh, she's okay. Okay, um, good. I was hearing those. I got the text. Yeah, literally at the same minute, I got the text from the communications director at Chivas USA that Eric Torres' loan has extended, and I got a text from her saying, "I'm okay, I'm okay, everything's fine." So it was just like a little bit of a heart attack today. Uh, really, kind of uh, puts everything in perspective, and uh, and I'm really sorry that I keep calling. I really called them, but I swear to God. <laughs> You, you just want to hear. You just want to hear our, our Keith and our docile tones because we're the experts on soccer now that soccer morning is away. That is sad. I, mean, I really give him credit for trying. It was very ambitious, and uh, I think ultimately they're all going to go down pioneers because one day we're going to figure this all out, and it's going to be like the people they point to to say, "Look, this is what they first started doing." Like original people did stuff on radio that just kind of got phased out. Um, you know, it's really sad. Cause, I mean, there is a market for, you know, I, I think Jason said something last week that really kind of, you know, uh, stuck with me. It's like, I've always felt like the World Cup years is like me out there proselytizing people. Like, you got to get the soccer. Soccer's so great. And I'm just, I'm not doing that anymore. I don't really feel like I need to because there are people that are in soccer. And that's wonderful because, God, I, I, I'm a terrible self-person. I'm, 
I stink. I stink at film. <laughs> Welcome to the club, um, Matt. <laughs> yeah, well, it's great to see you guys. Dad, one, one of my dad's many failings, he didn't pass on the sales gene on to me. This guy, this guy, this guy, more than one friend of his told me he could, he could, he could sell sand in the desert. So. <laughs> um, you know, I, I am glad I got to talk to you though, because I did get to see the Dayton Dutch Lions play this weekend. Uh, on yeah. Saturday night against the OC Blues. Um, I have to say, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm being truthful. I went to that game because I saw the Timbers were playing Real Salt Lake. And the Timbers haven't beaten Real Salt Lake since April 2011, and I, I just don't have any more time for heartache. I'm going to go watch this game here. And of course, I'm like watching my Twitter feed, and it's like the Timbers got a penalty. Oh my God, the other team is playing with a man down. I'm like, this is like freaking bizarro world. So <laughs> now, whenever the Timbers play, I need to see if the OC Blues are playing because I'll be going to see them. But then after the Super Classico, uh, the Dutch the, the Lions came again and played this. Uh, most those, uh, LA Galaxy 2, they're a good team. I mean, they got some great players. I think Sean Field is a homegrown player for uh, the crew. Uh, yes, he is. He's great. I mean, he, he, he's been a ball bag. I mean, he's, and like, what's funny is like, actually one of the goals that opened up was the, the Blues were putting three or four guys on him. And so, like, he had a deflection, and Kevin Walker just, like, was just right there to put it in. I mean, they, they're well coached. I think you guys got some really great prospects. So, congratulations, Columbus. It's really cool yeah. we can kind of see this kind of, you know, like with, it's like in minor league baseball. When you go to like minor league baseball, you see a guy and you're like, you know what, I see that guy going to the majors. I see he's going to make it. And, and that's one of my things that I hope about the World Cup, that people come out and say, you know what, I saw World Cup and I saw soccer and I thought it was great. And I might not have an MLS team by me, but I can go see this USL team or I can go see this NASL team. I mean, there's so much great soccer being played out there right now. It's just a wonderful thing. Yeah, you make you make two very good points there, Matt. Because because the minor league baseball analogy is is one of them. Because it's it's you know, uh, and the other point is about you know, seeing the World Cup. You know, twenty years ago, we saw the soccer landscape change dramatically because of the World Cup. Because the world got, America got to see what the rest of the world has known for forever, and they realized, that, hey, there's something to this. And the media, and, and they took a legit, people took a legitimate interest in it, and the media obviously had to follow along. Uh, because as I said before, sports media, it, it's like the entertainment media. They gotta go, they gotta cover what the people tell them to cover. It's not like the news. News is different. It's more, it's more like entertainment in that, in that sense. Now, 20 years later, because of the growth of the game in, in the last 20 years, Especially at, with now that we have all these lower, more, better established, or better organized levels, people are going to see this again, maybe new this the game, and realize, hey, there's a smaller scale team nearby at a different level: NASL, USL Pro, NBSL, whatever the case may be. So I think we'll go. It won't be as dramatic in terms of growth in spectators, just, but I think you're going to see the not just MLS, but all the levels and all the leagues get a bit of a bump out of this World Cup. And, again, and social media will have a lot to do with it, too, because people will go look, especially people who are under the age of 35, uh, are going to go look for this on social media. We've heard the stories about how the, the urban hipster uh, is the big target, uh, is the, big, uh, the biggest segment of the MLS audience. Uh, obviously, with some of these other clubs uh, in the other leagues, the other leagues, 
they're not going to necessarily fit that profile, but because if they are under 35, they're going to be more social media savvy, and they're going to go find these teams. Go team, most teams now, you get a new team going, that's one of the first things you say. You set up a website, you set up Twitter, you set up Instagram, Facebook, whatever the case may be. So yeah, you, you made, your, your points about, about minor league baseball and the change that's, that, that's coming uh, after the world, uh, with this World Cup uh, are very good ones. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we, always, we always figure that. Um, the, 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 the pro, the, that's, that's the problem I'm seeing with people not, I, people not supporting NAS and, and Sacramento. I got into a long, heated discussion with Graham Wilson of Ten and Row Soccer Podcast, uh, Celtic Podcast, about how podcasting works and we're all part of this now and Graham's point was making is you really can't make money or make it go podcasting unless if you monetize the actual podcast now as references I've said this before this podcast has been paid for by two people um, in the last three years Eric Nash held the show for three years and then I took it over when we split but there is not that media, there's not that love for an everyday type of show. And that's kind of sad because, I mean, you think of what ESPN does with ESPN FC, that's buried at like 4.30 Eastern time on ESPN. 5.30. The 5.30 might be it. You know me, numbers, not not fun. Um, it was. It's just there should be someone out there. There should be someone or one of these former players like Lawless or Twillman or Ronaldo. I mean, Ronaldo would be the perfect one to put money to a soccer broadcasting network because if he because he he's hands in so many things. I think he could actually be a pretty damn good broadcaster. He was funny this morning, hungover and tired, but that's just that's Ronaldo after his birthday. Um, that someone should just go good enough, and I mean, and it's sad that Jason's going off air because Jason is one of the best writers in the country, outside of Matt, outside of Matt Hoffman. I, I muted myself there. <laughs> no, he, Jason will land on his feet, no doubt about it. I mean, it, it's a sensory setback, but he's too talented. He's going to land on his feet. He's a good guy. And, and I like to believe that good things have to be good people. Now, do you, you, you know some of the people. Where is, what is Trevor's background? I don't know. I, I, I don't. Um, I know him because, uh, you know, he, he runs the whole NESN network. Um, and I've sent him a couple emails, never, never heard back from him. Uh, but I think when it's, I think it's, I, I can't even hesitate it yet. I have no idea. Okay. Uh, well, I think maybe he's a rock farmer. <laughs> well, it looks like we have our special guest on. I, I like to, I like to have authors on every once in a while. And, it, and when I, when I to Keith that one of my favorite, one of my favorite tweet, tweeters wrote something, I wanted to get a hold of it. Um, 
It's Christopher Dwyer. He's written a book, and I've kind of tried to explain it, but I don't think I can. It's football history fiction coming of age. I mean, Chris, how can you how can you explain what your book is? Uh, well, it's pretty much two knuckleheads from New Jersey who uh, have more money and sense, and they drive around the country trying to catch as many games of the '94 World Cup as they can. Um, Yes, there are. I mean, there are all those elements. Uh, yes, it's, uh, there's a lot of history in there, um, you know, because it was 20 years ago, and 20 years ago was a lot longer time ago than, well, than I thought when I originally started writing. And, um, you know, and, and the, I mean, not just, you know, not just things like, okay, you have to get the AAA tip, trip ticks if you're going to take a drive, but, uh, you know, what do you do when you get to the ballpark? And you're the only American fans, you know? <laughs> So yes, there is there is history. There's some coming of age in there because they're you know 23 year old knuckleheads, and um, and and there's a lot uh, there, there's a lot to the sort of growing up process that that they never really get around to in the book. Well, what made you, what made you go to what made you write about the '94 World Cup and step back to something that most of us that are new soccer fans wouldn't remember. Um, well, I remembered it, uh, cause I started following the game, uh, you know, as a dilettante really in 90, but, um, but I chose the, the 94 world cup kind of by accident. Uh, I was, I was doing this thing called national novel writing month. That's actually how I wrote the book. NaNoWriMo! And, yes, I am a Rimo. And I uh, and and I was going to write this uh, this this wonderful or this god awful probably dystopian story about uh, about this group of people who uh, get away from the corporatist society by living on their own and all of this stuff. And then I saw that everybody and their sister was writing something like that, so I had to come up with something else really quick. And two things that I love most in the world are soccer and driving around uh, and driving around the country. So I said, huh. How about the '94 World Cup? And you know, from there it just sort of followed. If yeah, we that had hosted would be a in lot 06, of driving, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, yes, there was a lot of driving, a lot of driving, and it was tough to try to get all the games that I wanted to get in there without you know breaking some basic physics laws. You know, <laughs> like I really yeah, wanted I, them I to be able read, to. I, yeah, I think it's just really far enough. Did they get to? Detroit for Sweden against Russia in the first phase. They did not. Oh, they, okay, they, so well, then you, sh- you, you should have called me for that one because I did get to the that. That was the only World Cup game I got to see. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I did. I have did a coworker. See, I have a coworker who got to. Uh, what's that? Sorry, sorry. Did they get to see Diana Ross the penalty kick? Uh, yes, yes, they saw that. Excellent. And, uh, and yeah, and they had I a good had... chuckle at that one. So, Keith, what, do you have, what else do you have? Okay, um, I think, you know, one of the things that yeah, I found interesting, that you did go back to the, the, the 1994 uh, World Cup, uh, because we were talking about before, uh, it was such a, it was such a, a, dr- a dramatic shift in, in the soccer culture in this country, uh, whether it be you know, from you know, the, the gr- heightened interest 
uh, the media attitude changing, things of that nature. Was 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 any of that uh, in your mind? That I, first of all, I'm, all, I'm a lot older than Stephen. My soccer view actually goes back to the the late '70s with the old American Soccer League. Uh, the Cleveland Cobras played a couple miles from where I grew up, and I went to see a few games there. Then I got into the major indoor soccer league in the early '80s with the original Cleveland Force. I've been you know been following the game for quite some time, although not so much on the international level uh, before the World Cup. Uh, was that the the fact that everything changed for soccer at that point in America? Uh, something that drew you to write about that particular tournament? I won't say it drew me to write about that tournament. I mean, if uh, if we'd have hosted in 06, I would have uh, I would have chosen that one. But of course, if we would have hosted in 06, that's when things would have turned around. Um, because uh, because you're absolutely right. That was a huge turning point. Um, there was no MLS. MLS, you know, as as, as we all know, MLS came uh, as a result of the 94 World Cup. There was no Sam's Army. Sam's Army came as a result of the 94 World Cup. There, you know, big soccer was still a, uh, was still a bulletin board, I think. Um, yeah. So there were a lot of things that, uh, that changed. And, you know, very quickly I realized that that was going to be, you know, that that was going to be a big part of it, how they, you know, how they expressed themselves as fans. I think um, in, the, uh, in, in the game against Switzerland, uh, they're driving into uh, they're driving into Detroit, and they see absolutely nothing about the World Cup. And uh, at one point, uh, David turns to Julio and says, "There better be flags flying in the stadium, because if there's one thing Americans know how to do, it's wave a freaking flag." <laughs> um, and you know that's and that's true, and that's why I think very very quickly when we saw that uh, you know that stadiums were you know packed full of dilettantes and people who wanted to be there for an event, groups like Sam's Army started um, coming up right away. Well, there must, there had to be something in the greater Detroit area, because I remember my my first broadcasting gig came that fall uh, in the National Pro, uh, Professional Soccer League, the indoor, the smaller indoor league that sprung up in the mid-1980s. And uh, Detroit had a team playing at Cobo Arena, the Rockers, and I remember that season, that 94-95 season, there was a big World Cup banner hanging in Cobo Arena. They had gotten it from from someplace in Detroit. It was one of those, like, street sign banners. You see a, you see a street like uh, uh, in downtown areas. And, you know, where it was displayed, I have no idea. So they did something uh, <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of public displays. I do know that they were on the... They were on the front page of the Detroit Free Press. Um, yeah. You know, nice big splashy color photo. Um, but um, but I one of the things that I definitely remember uh, I, I was living you know because a lot of this I had to go via conjecture because I was not in Detroit 20 years ago and they didn't have the internet in Detroit 20 years ago. So um, so I do remember being in uh, being in North Jersey for that and you know. The thing about the World Cup that we saw around here was traffic on Route 3. And that was pretty much it. And traffic on Route 3 is also a theme in my book. Um, but uh, I did not see a whole lot of, hooray, the World Cup is here. Yeah, it, it was a little, the atmosphere was different because, you know, again, the media, I, I remember how uh, a lot of, you know, of course, a lot of the, 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 the 
sports media in this country were still a lot of you know guys in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who had never seen the game and were still bent on trashing it at every possible opportunity. Uh, and yeah, I, and I know some, there were people who had this. That you, I was I told somebody this. Or I wrote it in a, a fanzine or a booster club news or something. Say, say referring to the forget the scores, just give me the body count attitude. Yeah. Because that's what I, was, I was so afraid that any the smallest little incident would be blown up by the sports mm-hmm. media into into a huge soccer trashing parade. And and I and the the thing I the other thing I remember on that line was when when I went to you know a couple of friends of mine from Cleveland got the whole block of tickets to go to all the games that were in Detroit and they talked about and mind this is 1994 obviously not post 9/11 but they talked about oppressive security and that was one thing I talked about I said do you realize with the, with the sports media in the country ready to just hammer the game at any with even the smallest little incident. You know, never mind something oh, as horrifically tragic as Munich, let's say, which drew some blank looks, by the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, but this was this was what was going on. This was what, one of the things I feared with that World Cup. Is I, I figured Americans would take to it, not just the soccer fans, but the fact that you know Americans like a, a big event. You know, one of my friends on um, on um, on Facebook, guy out in San Diego, uh, Greg Summel. Big sailing fan, big America's Cup fan. Of course, Dennis Connor, the great America's Cup skipper from San Diego. But the America's Cup in this country got virtually no attention until mm-hmm. 1983 when we lost. Right, and right, right. And all of a right. sudden, but people realized, hey, this is a big, when it went to Australia, and it grew tremendously with the number of countries that entered in 1987 compared to 1983, okay, Americans realized, hey, this is a big deal, and they got on board with it, so to speak. This is the way America thinks. And the other time, when they see it at, an event at its best, they realize there's something to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and another thing with, with you in particular, obviously you're, 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 I'm guessing you're a native of New Jersey. Yes, and, I am. Uh, yeah, and of course, New Jersey, especially North Jersey, has long been a, a soccer hotbed in this country. Hey, you know, 1994, you had three guys who grew up together in the same town of Kearney. You know, right. playing, yeah. playing from the World Cup team. And yeah. um, so I, even though, like you said, there wasn't a whole, as much attention being paid from a media perspective, certainly there was some interest there because you know, Metropolitan New York in general has had a long history with the game, you know, going back to the early 1900s. Uh, so, you know, New York was a little bit of an exception in that regard. Right. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I live in, I live in Harrison. Um, the diner yeah. that I go to apparently hosted the first uh, U.S. international soccer game, uh, you know, uh, in, uh, in East Newark. Um, yeah, this is this is huge area for it, and uh, and to be to be frank, we were in New Jersey. We were cr- quite proud to have a uh, to have a good chunk of the um, to have a good chunk of the team. I mean, not only was there uh, Harks, Ramos, and uh, and Miola, but there were, uh, Claudio Reyna was on that team. Alexi Lalas was at Rutgers. You know, so we right. had Jersey represented that year. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you know Lalas, he had of course he had the. The homecoming going back to uh, Detroit, where he grew, he grew up in that area. But yeah, right. he did he did go to he did attend uh, Rutgers as well. Yeah. Uh, it's 
I I found it. I, the the thing I did find interesting is, is the tack you took with it, as far as the guys who who you wrote it through. You know, the kid for the the kid from from the very well-to-do family and his best friend, and, and as you said, guys with with more money than sense. What what made you go that route with as far as the, the, the characters telling the story, who you told the story through is concerned? Well, um, I was also I I was also uh, raised in boarding schools, so um, so knowing the mentality of 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 somebody coming out of that uh, coming out of that background, you know, it was very familiar to me. If I'm going to write, um, you, you know, if I'm going to write dialogue, I can. It's easiest to write dialogue for somebody you know. Um, and uh, you know, whereas I was the scholarship student, I knew a lot of folks who were very, very well off. Not maybe not as well off as as David, but uh, that was uh, you know basically I I calculated the amount of money that was on this um, that was on this trip, and realized that nobody was going to let him you know nobody was going to let him do that if it was just something that he took off a million dollar policy. So I uh, made him extraordinarily wealthy. And then, um, but then, you know, knowing that, I'm still able to, I'm still able to think. Okay, he was raised as a real person who had a lot of money. I know those kids. I went to school with those kids, you know, in the Mid Atlantic. So this would be easy to, you know, the, these these people's language is my language. So that's why okay. that's why I went with uh, that's why I went with that. Also. Um, you know, it would give them, if they were rich kids from the Mid-Atlantic, uh, well, one rich kid from the Mid-Atlantic, it would give them more than a passing familiarity with soccer hmm. because, yeah. you know, that's, we, we, did, we, we did that around here. You know, that's, that's kind of, that was kind of the sport. It was something, you know, it was something foreign, so it had that cachet, and uh, it was something that, uh, you know, that, that people around you did. So there you go. But it had to be, it had to be fun to sit back and writing it now and trying to remember back then. Oh my goodness, that was the best part. To go was... to go. Oh, I remember this because I mean I'm only 35 years old, so I remember '94 pretty well. I mean I was kind of mm-hmm. closed off because my family didn't watch soccer in the '90s. My dad watched that old um, soccer made in Germany, and that was there was really not much the 90s for me to watch in Minnesota. And it, it had to be fun for you to say, okay, I can't rely that there's the Internet. I can't rely that people have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. There aren't pagers. Cars are different. And just the rate of what buying things were, I mean, the, you, don't, you don't have gas now. Gas then is ten times different than it is now. I mean, I remember right. I, started, I started driving in, God, I think 96, because I'm about then. And I remember my first time I filled up, and this is going to make Keith Keith laugh, it was a buck ten. Yep. It was a buck ten. Then it went down from there. I remember going over the George Washington Bridge, seeing gas at 85 cents a gallon in in 98, and I'm just like, wow, really? Because I was coming back from California. Oh, I remember the days. Yeah. But the coolest part of, of all of that remembering was, how much I had misremembered from the uh, from the games themselves, because oh, I watched all I watched all the U.S. games, and 
um, the Brazil game in particular, I had remembered that as, um, you know, we were we were a bunch of plucky underdogs who uh, who were flattered by a one nothing scoreline. Anything but the truth. Anything but the truth. We went toe to toe with those guys, and maybe in terms of in terms of, of two misses uh, from us on them, and uh, the the millimeters by which Bebeto's uh, um, Bebeto's goal went under uh, Lalas's leg. And please tell me that was yeah. Bebeto and not Romario while I'm on a soccer uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> And you, and that you're absolutely right because everybody, you know, people always looked at that as that kind of result. But people forget really the game. year or so before, the U.S. got a goal as well when Casey Keller pretty much stood on his head mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. played in such a way, way that when they got the next chance at them, uh, that they weren't intimidated. You know, the, you know most people, you know, before that. You know, the USA, you see, just the sight of the yellow shirts alone was enough to scare, scare the living daylights out of them. But they had played, they had played them, they had played them to a standstill a year before, and they knew they could pull off, especially with the whole crowd behind them, and the fact that they had been able to get to, to get to that stage, and were even unlucky not to get a better matchup in the second round because of that last, that last game loss to uh, was it Romania. Romania. Yeah. Yeah. Because of that, if they didn't even get the draw, they're staying right there in the Rose Bowl where the U.S. had never lost at that point, and mm-hmm. maybe don't get Brazil until the, until maybe the the, the round the the, uh, the 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 quarterfinals. And if they get if they get to the quarterfinals after you know, winning you know, basically winning the group and then and then winning a round of sixteen game with that in behind them, plus the fact that they what they've done in Brazil previous year. They could have won. They could have won that game. You know, yeah. They really could. I really think they could have beaten Brazil and gotten to the semifinal. At that point, can, can you imagine what the reaction in this country would have been had they gotten to that point? You're talking 1980 Lake Placid all over again. If mm-hmm. you ask me, Call and actually, think, thinking about that, I'm kind of glad that we waited until 2002 for something like that, because if. If they'd have done that in '94, and then they'd have gone back to their to their colleges, uh, a couple of them had some uh, had some European prospects, or you know, God forbid, uh, a bunch of them were picked up by uh, by European squads and sat on the bench because of their you know because of their passports. Um, you know, what would have really what would have really come of that? We wouldn't have had the the, the boost that we uh, that we got in '02. Um, if if yeah, you that, look at that's a that's a valid point too. Yeah. So but I'm just, glad yeah, that just, I'm glad that we waited until there was a league. I mean, you know, would I've loved to have beaten Brazil? Hell yeah, I'd have loved to have beaten Brazil. Uh, but you know, but in terms of in terms of 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 what ha- you know from from hindsight perspective, yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't think we would have been ready for something like that. Maybe that we would have expected another, to win it. Yeah. In, in ninety eight. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe may that's a good point too. But that's another story. We'll get to it in a second. But but uh, yeah. this is the Yellow Carter Podcast on Blog Talk Radio. Stephen Brandt and Keith Kilkenny, your co-hosts. Uh, we're talking with Christopher Dwyer, the author of Thirty Days in America. I believe that's the right title. Which Thirty is also Days Across Twitter America. Handle. Thirty Days Across America, which is also his Twitter handle, a book, a uh, historical novel, I guess, of the nineteen ninety four World Cup. 
But here's another one I want to point. I want to bring out what, what could have happened in 1994, depending on just one result. If you recall, when the United States was awarded the World Cup, mm-hmm. there was the European nation who said that this should not have been done because you should uh, a nation should not be awarded the World Cup when they cannot qualify. Right. That nation turned around and failed to qualify for the 1994 World Cup, yet got to host it four years later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was that was when it always killed me because I was I, I always want to say, hey, we got to take the 1998 World Cup away from France. They didn't qualify here, and it, it was a scenario where they had two. They finished up with two home games and only needed a point, a miserable draw at home in two games to qualify, and they lost both games. Yeah, well, if, just, if, it's, as you can I imagine, just, as an Irish American, I, um, uh, believe me, I'm I'm crying no tears for France missing a World Cup. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was the t the t shirt the, the t shirt from uh, uh, what is it now? I can't think of it. Uh, yeah, who are your designs? We were yep. robbed. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's funny now. You you live in Harrison, New Jersey, and who flies this trade there? Yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The single cell irony is delicious, but uh, the yeah, the, it could you you've got a point about you know the fact that you know it, it, things may be better better to worked out better the way they did. Certainly, uh, you know the 1998 World Cup was a uh, a fiasco and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to Har- thanks to Harksy among others. Oh yeah, uh, but uh, it, it was yeah 2002 was. It, it was, you're absolutely right. That was such a big surprise after what had happened in 1998, and the fact that, uh, it, but it showed that you know, MLS, uh, in terms of uh, in terms of providing a national league and a place where at least some of the Americans play the play, was was having an impact on, on the, the game as a whole here in this country as well as the national team. Absolutely, I. I... Uh, watched my first MLS game in 96. I think I got through about a half of it, turned it off. Didn't turn on another one until after that, after we made the quarterfinals and, and ought to have beaten Germany. Um, and, and that's when I decided I'd give the, uh, give the league another chance. And I went to one game, and you know, the, I'm sort of been hooked ever since. Uh, that was where I went from, you know, every, and every four years kind of guy to uh, the sort of rabid, insane, um, everything I can get my hands on soccer fan I am now. Well, speaking of soccer fans, to get their hands on everything, Russ Goldman uh, from the Cottage Talk podcast, as well as Patriots 4th and 2, is on the line. Russ, we got Christopher Dwyer on here. Uh, th- thanks for calling you. We always uh, like to get your input. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, I'm just I'm just enjoying listening to the conversation. Yeah, uh, Christopher Dwyer wrote a fat, written a fascinating book, Thirty Days Across America, about the uh, about the couple of guy, a couple of kids from Jersey seeing the uh, 1994 uh, World Cup. I think one you know one yeah obviously you know the fact that the, the soccer landscape changed so much uh, back then, but. Uh, in terms of you know, the soccer fans, the soccer media, but I think one of the things, that, and I, we've talked about this on the show before, is about how much the media has changed in 20 years, not just with their perspective on the game, but also with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and everything else that's out there, you know, and, and as well as the podcasting culture, obviously. You know, we've, 
we've changed the structure of the media, the fact that the, it not only is there more information, more uh, accessible to people in terms of what they're getting and finding out the stories they want, people can create their own stories. They can create their own buzz. And that, to, to me, that's the, one of the biggest impacts that social media has had for soccer fans is they can they can get the, you know, get on the Twitter and spread the word on the Twitter feed and, and on Facebook and things like that about about podcasts uh, organizing uh, you know American Outlaws groups. You know, we had uh, Tanya Keith on uh, a couple weeks ago and her uh, about her uh, her passionate soccer love book. She's out in Des Moines, Iowa, and there's an American Outlaws chapter in Des Moines, Iowa. You know, nowhere near an MLS team, a place where they'll never see the national team play, yet they've got a group there. And I think that the, the social media impact, when you look at what was going on 20 years ago in terms of getting the word out about these things, because Sam's Army, that was a lot harder to get started than it was for the American Outlaws who came along later, largely because of the social media difference. Absolutely, and I also remember from uh, from that era, uh, big soccer. Uh, yes. I mean, you know, we 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 talk about that because it's a it's a really really large thing, and there's a lot of folks who 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 uh, post on there who you know probably ought not post. Um, but but it was it was hugely important uh, in in o two and o three and o four. That was the only way I could I could you know watch in quotes a lot of uh, a lot of games, you know. I watched um, I watched Keller uh, no Friedel in a game versus Celtic uh, in the Champions League, and it was like I was watching it because there were people who were at the ballpark or in Europe watching it on TV, and they were giving us a play-by-play, and it was beautiful. Yeah, and that's the way that's the way, way we had to do it back then. And without um, if we hadn't had the internet, we wouldn't have what we have today in terms of a soccer culture. I'm completely convinced of that. Well, I, I, I wouldn't know. I think you're absolutely right. And by the way, Brad, you know, one of my favorite people because he grew up not too far from me, Brad Friedel, signed a one-year extension to stay on Tottenham for another year. So he's Spurs supporters. Uh, he's probably not going to play much because Lloris is – Hugo Lloris is terrific. He's going to be France's number one very soon. But, uh, you know, Friedel is going to stay on Spurs for one more year. Or he could just yeah, go, or I, I saw that. That's insane. Hey, goalkeepers don't peak until they're 35 anyway, so he's in his prime right now. I just, I really wish that, that somehow he'd come back and spend one more year with the crew before he retires. I really would love to see that. Oh, no, they're just warming the spot for you, Keith. <laughs> hey, I, hey, I didn't do too badly in my game last night. I'll tell you that much. I still love the message I, I got from you this morning. But anyway, Chris, I want to I want to thank you for being on the show. Uh, what's the name of the book? Where can we get a hold of you? And when is it out? The uh, the book is out right now um, in uh, in ebook. Uh, I was really hoping to uh, to be able to announce that it would be out on uh, in paperback uh, by the time I got back to my computer, but my uh, my proof hasn't come in the mail yet. But uh, it is out right now on ebook. You can get it at Amazon, or if you don't have a Kindle, you can get it on Smashwords. Uh, just search for 30 Days Across America, and, uh, and, and it's right there. You'll notice the cover looks very much like the denim shirt. Um, and you can find me on... Where you got that idea from? <laughs> uh, I, oh, actually, yes. That was, uh, that was Prairie Rose Clayton, 
she uh, I, I I contracted her to design the uh, to design the cover. She said it would either be that uh, it was it's a uh, denim kit with like little New Jerseys instead of the stars. So she said it would either be that or the uh, Born to Run cover. Uh, <laughs> no, you definitely were better off with the denim one with the New Jerseys on there. Absolutely. So find it on Amazon, or you can find and you can also find me on Twitter. I'm uh, at Dwyer CD. All right. Thanks for being on Across America. Thirty days across USA is my across USA. Well, sorry. <laughs> well, I want to I want to thank him for being on, and I accidentally pushed him off too quick. Um, I'm glad you're on, Russ, for a couple reasons because I, I didn't get to talk to you two about World Cup last week because Nev Keith and you weren't. Free, but also, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I know you get to deal with this because your son, your son Keith, is playing some plays too. Keith, um, yeah, right. I, I got to, I got to attend, uh, uh, I got to attend a street soccer tournament, and I, you guys live in MLS country, so you get to see it a little bit more. But I mean, in your individual markets, what is it more? America or the st- or domestic? Because I I was the only one at the tournament that was wearing anything an American, and I was wearing a Fort Lauderdale Strikers jersey. <laughs> well, in my case, it, yeah. In my case, if you just go out in public, I'd say it's about half and half uh, between uh, the crew and uh, I want to see a couple other uh, domestic shirts too. But it's it's half and half between the crew and the re- and the rest of the world. Although, in, in fairness, I don't think that's necessarily uh, an accurate barometer because I mean you're only seeing the people one time. I mean, yeah, you know, obviously the majority of the people uh, at, at games are wearing crew stuff, but I'll see other international yeah, shirts and scarves. Heck, I take you know, I took a Rangers scarf with me to the last uh, crew game I went to. Uh, I think. I think too. Oh, made me blow up. Saw that. Well, but I, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, you know, the Euro snobbery, uh, the people who look down on MLS, the Americans look down on MLS, and, and only follow the European game. And, and I think I think for those who choose to do that, fine. That's their decision. Uh, I'm certainly not going to begrudge anybody. Uh, their choice of what clubs they wish to support. Obviously, you know, I wish all Americans would support some domestic club at whatever level it happens to be. I don't. It doesn't necessarily have to be MLS, as Alexi Lalas would suggested. Uh, although that would be nice too, because let's say you see you see the other sports, you see people for I mean, around here. I've seen you'll love this, Russ. I've seen a pretty decent uptick over the last ten years. Imagine that. Of people wearing Red Sox stuff or Red Sox stuff on cars. <laughs> you know, one of my one of my son's best friend, his dad's a big Red Sox fan, and so um, got good taste. So, yeah, <laughs> but uh, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't. As a personally, as someone who 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 does like MLS, who who also follows the world, the world game. Yeah, I realize MLS isn't there yet in terms of level of play. I'm not uh, denying that for a second. I think we're, oh, I think we're, we're getting there slowly but surely. Uh, but I would, don't read too much 
into what I see on a daily basis in terms of what they're wearing. So because it's a one-time thing. I'm only going to see that one person one time for a five seconds, whether I talk to them or not, who knows. But obviously, like you said, it's different here, obviously, because we have an MLS club. It's probably different where Russ is because they've got an MLS club. You don't have one there uh, in Buffalo, Stephen. So that, that has a lot to do with it. But I don't think it's necessarily a barometer of who is supporting what. You don't know. You see other people with the European stuff. You don't know if they follow MLS or not unless you talk to them. They might well be doing that. We don't know. I don't think the main thing is just because somebody you happen to see somebody wearing a shirt from a European club, I'm not going to be that quick to snap and say, oh, you're a snob. You don't like MLS. I'm not going to be quick to snap because they just might. We just don't know it. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you guys want want me to chime in now? Sorry. Well, you, your turn now, Russ. Okay. Well, oh, well, uh, the issue that I have is that um, Walpole Youth Soccer, it, it actually, um, they're they're overseen by the Revolution Academy. So so there's obviously obviously going to be a revolution, kind of kind of flair to the whole thing, which which is actually kind of nice. They they oversee the uh, the coaching and they and, and they help the coaches at a youth soccer level, which I think is fantastic. Uh, I will tell you this, and again, um, I got to give give my daughter much credit and myself because because we probably whenever we go to Walpole Youth Soccer, we are wearing our Fulham jerseys, and we always get you know we always get looks. People always talk to us. Um, my daughter at school wearing her Fulham jersey. Um, people keep asking where they can buy it, where they can get it, what team is it, and it just opens up a conversation. But I would say for here, it's really about the revolution for me. That's what I see. But if you go into different parts of uh, of Massachusetts, you know, with you know with with the different ethnic groups and all, and, and I'll give you for example, Portugal and and Mexico just played at Gillette Stadium, and there's a huge Portuguese uh, um, group here in you know in in Massachusetts I mean huge huge it's a huge ethnic group and, and and of course you'll see all those jerseys I saw the jerseys I also saw many Mexico jerseys which was which was nice to see but I but I got to be honest with you I don't see many US jerseys I see mostly revolution jerseys but again it's different you know it's probably different in different places but uh but guys I just wanted to share this quick story and part of the reason why I called in is what I watched before before um, before I called in um, on Comcast Sportsnet New England, you know how how we talk about you know is you know is soccer making any kind of impact on the media? Well, I'm going to give you an example where I think it has even no. here in Boston. Okay, I'm going to give you an example. We have a show here on Comcast Sportsnet New England called the Early Edition, and uh, they uh, they they don't talk much about soccer. They actually have the rights to the revolution, and they, you know, they, they slowly but surely have been talking a little bit more. They actually now do a revolution program, which is great. They had a debate about U.S. soccer versus the other sports, and it, is it gaining ground? And two, two, of the, um, two of the people arguing were, were very, I guess you could say, were soccer people, and they made a strong argument, and I didn't even know this. They showed up this demographic of 12 to 18-year-olds. Um, I believe soccer is almost tied with uh, with Major League Baseball, and and hockey is a distant uh, fifth right now. And I and, and again, this is this is the demographic of 12 to 18 year olds. I think 18 to 34, it, it's different, but it's still gaining traction. The point of and all this was, was 
the point of all of me telling you this, guys, is that the demographic for soccer is a young demographic, and it's only growing and getting better. And I don't know if you guys have seen the ratings for the Barclays Premier League with NBC Sports, but they've been very good. They're very happy with it, and, and I'm happy to tell you, I believe Boston ended up at number three and number four uh, market for, for, for the Barclays Premier League, which is, which is incredible to me. It proves to me that Boston is actually a soccer town. Uh, so, yes. so it's starting to get a little bit more acceptance when they have a discussion about this and two guys can, can, can basically talk down the football guy and win an argument. Yeah, and it's uh, hearing you say that about the well, about the the soccer with the young people. It, it's in your area. The, here you see uh, hockey's way down the list. Yeah, I remember the days vaguely uh, of the big bad Brewers in the seventies. You have Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito and Derek Sanderson, Jerry Sheevers, and all those other people. And the growth of hockey at, when the Brewers got good was phenomenal, and you're still seeing it to this day. You look, you look around, NHL rosters, there's a guy from Boston all over the place. Right. And the, yeah, you, could have, you could have thrown Tom Glavin in there had he gone with hockey instead of baseball. But you, the young, the, the, CV, the, the 18 to 34, it, to me, is, is the key one because, as I've often said, this has been an ongoing thing for 40-some years in soccer because we've always heard, go back to the NASL days, that, when these kids, who are all these millions of kids who are signed to play soccer now, when they become adults, soccer will become number one sport in this spectator sport in this country. It still hasn't happened. And we've had how many millions of kids play soccer as youth? I can't count that high. For whatever reason, it, it, it's promising to see that, whether it be the 12 to 18 or 18 to 34, it's promising to see they're interested in it. But the key is, it always has been, can you translate that into TV viewers and ticket buyers? Now, the TV viewers we're seeing, as you said, with the, uh, with the NBC ratings for, for the uh, Premier League, are bearing that out. And we're seeing that in MLS, too, uh, with the TV rated people are saying that the Premier League has, been, has helped give a little bit of a bump to MLS because it's gotten their attention. Work. And NBC, too, has created a pretty good uh, so cross-promoting there as well as they go into their last year of carrying MLS games. The key to it, though, with the Premier League is going to be what happens when this NBC contract is up. Because the speculation is out there that, that ESPN and Fox might try to go after it. And the thing, and you have to understand, this is something I didn't even think about, but you have to understand, NBC is who scares ESPN, not right. Fox. Because NBC is owned by Comcast. So they're not only providing programming, but they're a cable carrier. Fox isn't like that. Fox, ESPN can fight Fox on a level terms. In fact, people, there are articles you all find that suggest that ESPN actually encouraged Fox to start up Fox Sports 1 because they knew they could still fight them on a toe-to-toe basis because they didn't have, they didn't have a cable carrier behind them. NBC does. NBC, which factored in two things, number one, NBC, is, NBC Sports Network is ESPN's biggest threat, number one. But number two, NBC, because of Comcast, because they're a cable provider as well, they've got to spend money in a different way. They, they are, they're a little more restricted in that, in that instance because what happens is if Comcast grows and NBCSN grows, 
they could all of a sudden turn and tell ESPN and say, hey, those carriage fees you wanted us to pay, we're not paying them anymore because we got our own network. So the, the, I think a big key coming up for the Premier League is who gets the next contract. Are we going to see, now we've seen from ESPN in the past that they take, they, they put, you know, they take the game seriously in terms of you know, you know, what they do you know, with, with pre-games, all the Keith. preview stuff they've had. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Keith, if you're asking me, I, I do not want ESPN to get the Barclays Premier League two or three years when that contract's up. I don't think that their coverage is what NBC's coverage has been. And well, I would rather it cool. stay with NBC. Yeah, well, but I, yeah, if you're asking me. Would, I'm sure. But, but the thing is with ESPN, certainly the perception is when you compare what ESPN does with what Fox has done, people will say ESPN is superior. Obviously, it's not what ESPN, not what NBC has done. And who's to say ESPN might look back and say, hey, it worked for them. We can make it work for us. And certainly with the money ESPN has, they can make it work. They can, right. If they decide to just take that template and go with it. Obviously, well, I, think, I think the NBC contract has two more Premier League seasons to run, if I'm not mistaken. I couldn't be wrong. Enough. I, think they've got, I think they have two more years, which would take them – uh, to the end of the 2015-2016 season. So, the, yeah, the TV ratings are bearing it out, which is, which is uh, uh, that the, the, the interest is growing, especially among the, the younger people. And we've seen the, the stuff about uh, attendance at MLS as well. So it is changing, but it's still, slow, it's still probably a lot slower, especially on the attendance side, than we like because you, know, the, you have to remember MLS – is much more driven in terms of gate receipt revenue than it is by TV revenue right. compared to the other sports. And right. so it, that it, those, those attendance figures are just as important as the TV ratings. Keith, Keith, they, they brought up a very good point that, that you'll actually appreciate. When they're talking about the growth of MLS compared to some of the other major leagues, NBA. Look, look at the beginning of the NBA compared to the growth of where they were at the same point that MLS is, and believe it or not, MLS in some ways might be ahead of the NBA when they first started out back in the 40s and the 50s. So think about that. Think about how, how it's still in its infancy, and they've grown a considerable amount, and where it might be in 20 to 30 years. So, so, so I know it's not where, where some people want it to be, but I, but I see the product getting better. That's number one. The product has to continue to get better. The product every single year is better. You just watch it. Go back a couple of years ago and you watch the product, even a couple of years ago, and I'm telling you, it's probably about 30% better. And, and that is incredible for me to say. I'm, I'm, I'm watching matches. I'm watching, I've got to be honest with you, I've never been one to watch matches that, that were not the revolution because I'm, I'm provincial. It's what we do here in Boston. You know, we just watch our teams. I'm watching MLS matches because I find them interesting. Because not only do I like the sport, I find, I find the matches at a, at a decent level now that I can watch a non-revolution game. And that, to me, is a big thing. That's a big thing yeah. where I can watch a game. So, you know what? I want to watch the Seattle Sounders, Sounders play Portland. And I found that fascinating. But, but not only that, I watch Kansas City play, play the New York Red Bulls. And that's not something I would do three years ago. And that's yeah, me. Quality, yeah, you made you made a good point. The quality of play, the quality of play, hopefully will continue to improve. And right. one, one of the key, one of the keys to that, hopefully, will be 
the new uh, contract with the Players Association, which hopefully will uh, provide uh, some more money to the players because that's what all makes it go, let's face that. And um, you talk about the NBA, and the analogy there is, I see what you know, the point you're you're making there, but you have to. And to me, it's more of an apples and oranges comparison because you, you have to remember with the NBA. First of all, for a, a number of years before the NBA started, there were actually two different leagues in two different regions of the country, and they ended up coming together. They lost some teams, but you, you if you now if you were to make a more apt comparison to MLS with the NBA, say go back to say the early 1980s where the NBA was. And compared to what that, that's kind of what what has happened with MLS. But they still, they still, to me, and you, you're absolutely right there. They've outpaced the NBA in terms of that growth in a yeah. short period of time. Because it was the early '80s that we saw the big, the, for the first big boom in the NBA in terms of interest. That people would laugh at this if they if they didn't know it. People under 35, especially. The, the 1980 NBA Finals, which was Magic Johnson's rookie year, and where the Lakers got won the championship over Philadelphia, the, the game six, the last game when the Lakers won, was shown on tape delay on CBS. Tape delay, like around 11:30 at night. It wasn't live. The NBA Finals. It, 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 it's just mind-numbing to think of something like that. So you know, MLS was a bit ahead of you know, the NBA, even when the NBA was at that stage. But but you're right, Russ. The, the the way how far MLS has come in the, in this 20 years, when you compare to some of the other sports, it is amazing. Especially when you consider you, you know, all these sports had there was a lot of growth potential there. Certainly soccer, as I said, you know, we've been talking about the growth potential for soccer in this country for 40 50 years now, and we're now starting to see it. Although certainly not the way a lot of people in the 1970s projected it would be, but right. we are seeing it. And you talk about, you talk about the quality right. of play. Thanks, Russ. Happen- hey, Russ, you, thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot, Thanks, Russ. guys. Sorry, I got, I got to drop off because, because my yeah. daughter's just about, about to come home. I just want, okay. w- wanted to leave one thought out there because you started your show, and I listened to the very beginning. You were talking about, about Jason Davis and Soccer Morning. And uh, I actually was at the gym, and I and I listened to it back. Uh, you know, a replay of his show. Did not know that uh, that the show was ending, and, and it saddened me to hear the news. Jason Davis and and also Trevor have done an incredible job with this show, and uh, and I'm sorry that uh, that it just isn't working out that they that they can continue to do it. But uh, but I just want to give them a shout out because they've done an incredible job. Sure, I listen to it on a regular basis, and you know. Again, it's going to take – I heard you talking, Keith, and then i got to drop off. I heard you talking. It's going to take an ESPN or someone else to do a radio show to get, to get the financial backing to do it. I would say maybe NBC Sports could do something like this. Get a show that will you – know, a, a, you know, a real soccer show that, you know, again, Jason could do it, but he doesn't have the financial backing. He needs someone that has some serious financial backing, like an NBC or an ESPN, to make it work. It's too difficult to do it the way that they're doing it, and they've done a great job to do it for one year. Yeah, take care, guys. Jason, yeah, thanks a lot, Russ Goldman from the Cottage Talk podcast. Yeah, Jason Davis and Trevor Haywood, if you're listening, we'll have you on our show anytime. There's no question about that. We have a lot of respect. I will talk to you about that one also off air. I've I've had discussions with. Russ brought up quality of play in MLS, and I happen and I happen to see this article. 
and I wanted to bring it up. Uh, yes, I'm patting myself on the back, I realize. But it, it comes from, uh, what's that? You're, you're that you're that flexible after playing last night? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it, <laughs> it takes a little bit of work, but anyway. But this comes from Frank Schwab. He's the editor of the Shutdown Quarter blog on Yahoo Sports. And he talks about the World Cup. He said, what would happen if you made up uh, the World Cup team of NFL players instead? And now some of the choices were kind of ludicrous, I thought. You had J.J. Watt of the, the, the Houston Texans. Uh, as well as Jadavian Cloudley, who, Cloudley, who the uh, Texans drafted. Now, I can't see those guys as soccer players. But some of the picks they made were rather interesting. Uh, well, of course, Chad Johnson was on this list as a forward, along with Pat McAfee, who punched for the Colts. And he also played at West Virginia. He also played soccer at West Virginia, uh, which I was not aware of. A couple of I found rather interesting. Calvin Johnson, Chris Johnson, Adrian Peterson. Like, yeah, I can see those guys doing that. But in the back line, one of the backs he picked, uh, the fullback he picked, Richard Sherman of the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> who, has, who has said on this show that Richard Sherman would make a terrific soccer player? Hello? Anybody? Anybody remember that one? So I'm not, I'm, I'm not as idiotic as I may look, people. Trust me on this one. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, my wife says, you won't let anybody forget, will you? No, I won't. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's... That, not to worry. Yeah, we've talked about this before, but you know, the the fact that there's still you know, not as much money for the players in soccer as they are in other sports, it does is going to continue to put the United States at a little bit of a disadvantage compared to the rest of the world in terms of getting the best athletes. You know, it's it's um, and there are other factors. I'm not saying there aren't other factors, but because there are, you know, the youth the youth soccer culture, which we've talked about a lot on the show, is a factor as well, uh, but. You, you look at you, you look at an MLS average salary, and I'm not sure what exactly it is off the top of my head. If I, I'll just I'll do a little quick search on it uh, to, to see like what 30. it is. Something like I'm, I'm guessing forty or fifty, uh, but I'll ch- I'll check that out just so we can get an actual. Uh, this is now average. Now this is admittedly a little bit inflated because of the of the, the recent you know, guys like Jermaine Defoe. And Michael Bradley and uh, and Clint Dempsey as well, but they're talking. You know, this is from from Empire of Soccer. They're looking at uh, about two hundred thousand dollars, but and if which as opposed to twenty thirteen when it was about one hundred sixty five. However, they point out three quarters of the players in MLS make less than that average. So I mean, you take take out the, the some of those big names, you're probably looking at somewhere maybe in the yeah. Uh, well, yeah. The median. Uh, here, the median salary, which is the middle, is uh, at eighty nine thousand for twenty thirteen. Oh, so that's not bad. You, you look. Yeah. That, so that's the middle. That's the midline for you know. You know everybody. That's the halfway line. Everybody. Half the players are making more. than half the players are making less. So, but you look at a guy. You look at even guys making you know, seventy, eighty, ninety, hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, you know, some some kid. You know whose family's not very well off. They're they're you know in the inner city, Appalachia, uh, wherever the case may be. Uh, they look at that and and they say, uh, and this again, this is the current college setup, mind you, which we'll, I'll get to that in a moment. But you look at it, they can say, hey, I can get scholarships, and my kid can go to law school or medical school or whatever, and make a lot more money than that. And and he and he doesn't have to slog through necessarily slog through the minor leagues of soccer. Uh, 
as well because let's you know, say not everybody gets to MLS right away. It, it's and and the thing is, there could that could change in say ten years. You obviously you know yes, yesterday was the start of the Ed O'Bannon uh, trial with the NCAA in re- with regards to uh, your royalty payments for uh, EA Sports uh, video games. And there's other lawsuits floating out there. You had the, the National Labor Relations Board decision uh, regarding the Northwestern uh, University football team as well. And I see a day, say, you know, 10, 15 years down the road where – these big, the big five conferences that exist right now are going to basically become autonomous, form their own group, even leave the NCAA entirely, or get enough power within the NCAA where they can just do whatever they want. And I see a day when it's going to be like, okay, you know, we're going to focus on the, the, the three main sports we've got. You've got football, men's and women's basketball, and that's pretty much it. And I think you're going to see a day where a lot of colleges, soccer is going to be one of those sports, they're going to be like, you know what, we don't have the money for this. We've got to do this as a club sport where you, know, you get volunteer coaches, people do it on their own. You have scenarios where, it, you know, assuming you've got enough people interested, and I know this is ridiculous, but you know, Ohio State soccer team playing, say, Ohio Dominican, Ohio Wesleyan, or Capital, or Otterbein, which are Division II, uh, Ohio Dominican Division II school, the other three are Division three schools. Because you're not going to be able to even take it a bus trip to say, let's say, your Akron or University of Cincinnati might not be might not be feasible. So this is you know, this is where the the, the, mon- the money the big money like you see in the other sports not being there is going to be put puts MLS and soccer general disadvantage. And if that struck if that scenario comes to pass, MLS is going to become much more reliant on the academy system. And because of that, you, even with 24 teams, you've got a lot of places where they're not that close to an MLS club. Are families going to be willing to ship their kid off or move to go to some academy hundreds of miles away? Yes, yeah, you see it in tennis and golf, but people realize that, hey, if they make it in tennis and golf, there's millions of dollars out there to be had in both prize money and endorsements. Soccer doesn't have that. And so... Quality of play for MLS is always going to be an issue, as well as the, the quality of athlete you get for the for the national team. I remember reading uh, from the late Charles Carroll's book, A Life on the Road. He spent some time in Brazil uh, covering South and uh, South and Central America for CBS Sports back in the 1960s, and he wrote about when the the 1962 World Cup was going on and uh, Brazil won, and he said that. They had almost the entire male population of the country as a player pool. You know, just imagine if, say, imagine the stories you read about youth football these days. The stories you read say anywhere from there's been anywhere from a five to fifteen percent drop off in youth football participation since the recent revelations regarding concussions in the NFL and things like that. Imagine if those kids turned to soccer. If if the numbers were accurate. But imagine what we ha- imagine the increase in the the, the the pure athletic ability in the talent pool. But but again, this goes back. And this also uh, runs up against the youth soccer structure in this country, which is so dependent uh, on kids who can pay enough parents who can pay enough money for their kids to be on these elite travel teams. And as I've said before, 
when these parents pay all these hundreds of dollars a year for the uniforms and the travel and, and everything else, plus having to take the time they have to go put into to make these trips and everything else, they don't care about player development. They don't care that these kids, that the that the the, uh, the talent pool is broadening or that they'll have a better quality of play and everything else. They want results. They want that silverware. That participation ribbon ain't going to cut it for a lot of these. Don't really cut it for a lot of these parents who are paying all this money. They want some results. They want some positive results. And again, right now, they're thinking in terms of, hey, if my kid's on a successful travel team, he's got a better chance to get a college scholarship. You know, I mean, that's that's a hard enough deal as it is. For you, you, you take the average high school age athlete, the it's you know. Like what is it? Two, maybe two to three percent get Division One college scholarships in most sports. Take that college level away, and what happens? So it's the, the quality of play to me is one of the biggest obstacles MLS and the U.S. national team face, and they face for a long time uh, because of the fact that you're not going to get huge TV money uh, into the game of soccer, and and this, and the reason for that is. You don't have the commercial time like you have in the three major sports. So it's how do you overcome that? I don't know. I wish I knew the answer because I'd be worth a boatload of money, probably as much as the kid in Christopher Dwyer's book, for that matter. <laughs> exactly. Um, because we got the we've got well, we got almost twenty minutes coming up. Um, since I didn't get to have you on last week talking about the World Cup, obviously yeah. we've got it coming up in two days, and I, I wanted to give you the benefit of the doubt the last well twenty minutes because. I know you can go 20 minutes without taking a breath on the sport. <laughs> um, actually, that's a funny text from Matt Hoffman. He, I, I was, I was texting him back and forth, and he was asking about how to start a show and all that type of stuff because he does the second show on this. And he was like, "Do you get a word in edgewise?" I'm like, "Yeah, sort of." I'm like, "But it also is a good thing." The great thing to know about with Keith is I could just say something, and if I have a sneeze. If I have to sneeze or burp, he can cover it easily. So, um, <laughs> Isn't that why you have a mute button, though? <laughs> I mean, that was the yeah. first thing I left. The first thing, first time I, I brought the studio board up, I'm like, okay, where's my cough button or mute button or whatever? Okay, there it is. I know how this works. Because you know, I, I have, you know, obviously, I, on TV radio, i got to have the same thing uh, for obvious reasons. I had, that was one of the first things I looked for this morning. Where's the mute button for me? Yeah. <laughs> What I mean, what do you see coming up for? What do you see now after Nigeria? I mean, we did this at, we did this before Nigeria, before we got to see Josie actually score a couple goals. Um, yeah, I'm, def- I'm definitely optimistic. I'm optimistic for a couple a couple of reasons. Number one, Josie getting his goal. Okay, yeah, the first one was one I could have scored at Billy, but you know Taylor pointed it out. It's psychological, okay? And because, he, and Taylor said, that second goal was the direct result of getting that first one because he, he read the confidence was back. You, you hear, you, you know, sometimes guys press a little bit too much or, get, uh, or try to do too much. You hear about, you know, in baseball, guys trying to hit a you know, whole run to every pitch. Hockey, the expression is he's squeezing his stick too tight. It's psychological more than anything else, and Taylor uh, got it spot on when he said that Josie's second goal was a direct, uh, directly linked to getting that first one. So I'm definitely more optimistic in that regard. Uh, we're hearing stories about Cristiano Ronaldo uh, 
and it not being 100%. So he didn't play in the last friendly against Mexico. Uh, we know, they, know he's out tonight. We know he's out there tonight because he just he just set he just walked up to um, Eric Krakauer. So and we know okay. since we know Krakauer's there. Well, Eric's live tweeting the entrance from the from the game, and uh, Cristiano went over to Krakauer and said hi in Portuguese. Okay, actually, good. I was going to say how's Krakauer in Portuguese these days, <laughs> but. Uh, you know he's you know Krakauer is actually from Portugal. Yes, yes, yeah. It's a it's a it's a hard language. So yeah, I, I just wonder you know, if he was yeah. just so uh, up to date on it and had it you know polished up ready to go. Certainly that that's uh, that helps being uh, being in Brazil where they speak Portuguese. But excuse me, but you you just you have to wonder, especially if it's a hamstring. You know, you never know. You know, hamstring, hamstring pulls, muscle pulls, especially, could could be unpredictable in terms of how long it takes to heal them and the risk of recurring, uh, re-aggravating it. But other than that, they do, they don't have. To me, I don't. I think Portugal's overrated. Beyond him, they don't have a whole lot else. You know, Luis Nani didn't play that much with Manchester United, and while yes, he'll be in the first eleven. Uh, what is he going to contribute? I just uh, am not a hundred percent sold on Portugal being as scary as everybody says they are, especially with the fact that you know, Jurgen has put a premium on speed and athletic ability, which is going to help you in terms of tracking down Ronaldo and, keep, and keeping him marked up. Uh, certainly, uh, that's going. To, uh, he's going to be the focus of the defense, and if he can be you know, reduced in some way, I don't think they have too much else to help him with. But uh, yeah, it, it was to see you know, the U.S. play that well in, in the heat against a team that's comparable, at least as far as the world rankings are concerned, to Ghana uh, is, is a good sign of, of things to come. Uh, and, again, this, is, this, this first game, it is something I've talked about, and I think it was, I want to say it was Richard McGovern, who put this out earlier today on Twitter about how that first game is so important in terms of what the U.S. does uh, getting out of the group. Uh, you you got to get a result. And this is where Jurgen Klinsmann and his ability in terms of the psyche and the psychology and the motivation is going to come into play. Because I'll guarantee you, ever since, ever since the game against Nigeria ended in the tra- changing room and this whole week leading up to, to Monday's first game, He's beating it into their head. You owe these people one. You owe them one. They've not throughout the last two years. And this is a team, it's it's not going to be that dissimilar from what they saw in 2012. But that wasn't exactly a young team either. And the goalkeeping is a little bit suspect according to some of the reports you believe. I just, so I don't, I'll tell you this. I'd rather you give me a choice between this group or the one with Spain and Holland. I'll take these guys. Okay, because in, in the case of Ghana, I know what I'm getting into. In the case of Germany, I know what I'm getting into. Uh, and Portugal, again, I think is overrated. Now, I know Holland's having their injury problems. I realize that. But, yeah. But I'd still rather, I, I would not, if I'm in that group, I'm, I'm a lot more concerned than I am with this one. I still think it's, I still think it's possible for the United States to get out of it. 
I think they probably go out in the second phase at the round of 16, depending on, because you have to think they're going to finish second behind Germany. At least that's, that's the way I see it. I, I, I really do. I just don't, I just don't think Ronaldo is enough for Portugal. And, uh, so you obviously you're going to get a team that wins another group. I don't have the the brackets in front of me. So yeah, I think it's possible they'll probably go out in the round of 16, and that's fine uh, because so uh, to me it's, it's I I'm happy with it because there are so many naysayers saying they're not going to get out of this. So you know I'm encouraged by what I saw uh, in the game against Nigeria. I do, and I still think it's I think they're going to get out. Uh, but the other thing that I think is going to happen at the end is I think Brazil gets to the semifinals and that's it. I just don't see Brazil winning. There is just too much pressure, way too much pressure on them because that's it. It's the only country in the world where the people expect to win the World Cup every time. It's not like the others. Playing at home with all that pressure, 1950 being brought up, and you go and watch ESPN's 30 for 30 uh, soccer stories about it. So it's, it's a theme in a couple of different uh, films, whether it be uh, uh, Garincha or, uh, or Barbosa. It's a recurring theme, that 1950 World Cup final. And when you throw in the, at least what we have to believe is the potential uh, for the social unrest, for the protests coming, and things of that nature, I, I think all that's just going to be too much. I really do, and I, I think I think you're going to see a first this time. You're going to see the first European team to win in, in the Americas, and I think it's Germany. I think Germany wins it all. But you, you don't you don't see you don't see Spain winning it at all. No, I think they're I think they've they've passed their peak. I really do. I can I can see them getting to the semifinals. Like depending on again, I don't have the. The bracket for them, so obviously depend on where they finish in their in their group. I, I expect would probably win their group, especially you know with Holland facing some of the injury issues they've had. But I think they might be a little bit past it uh, right now. Uh, but they should be good enough to get to the uh, to the semifinals. So you're not like Joe Belter, Joe Belto Silva, who's on ESPN and said that Spain's not getting out of their. Um, Groups. Now, Spain's good. I think Spain will win their group. I, I don't have a, uh, an issue with that at all. I, they've certainly got enough talent uh, out there. Although you know, somebody with uh, somebody Barcelona and the players, you just have to wonder. You have to wonder a little bit about what their mindset is going to be like with the disappointing results uh, in La Liga. Uh, but yeah, I, Spain get out of their group. That, that's I, they'll probably win it too. I don't think there's any uh, question about that at all. Argentina, I think, is going to be rather intriguing uh, because a lot there's a lot going on. Speaking of Barcelona, a lot of talk about Lionel Messi. How you know this this is his peak right now, and if he if Argentina don't win, it's all it's all going to be on him. It's you know his legacy is not the same as the, as the Diego Maradona or the other greats, uh, Mario Kempis, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, they're playing. They're playing in the enemy country, uh, which I think will uh, is is also going to be interesting to see how they respond. Uh, because you know that's it's a lot. That's the big rivalry 
uh, in South American football, Brazil and Argentina. So how you know, how they respond with playing in Brazil uh, is going to be intriguing as well. So uh, that, that those are to me the Argentina story and, uh, and Spain storylines, uh, along with Brazil, are probably the three most on uh, a worldwide scope uh, most intriguing scorelines you're going to see on this World Cup. But we always get surprises. You never know who might pull, you know, another Cameroon or something like that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, do you, say, do you see any uh, surprise teams? I mean, because I know I was on Ruben Tish's show Friday. I randomly called, well, I bullied my way onto the show just because I can. <laughs> they, he, he now has a co-host, and he was saying how he never gets any callers and nobody actually calls in. So I called him on it on air. I said, so what <laughs> my, I, my exact word is, so what the hell have I been for the last two years? It's like, yeah, you're, just, you're just that random dude I call. Or I like, no, you don't call me. You just random, like, I get this text about 1.30 my time. Hey, dude, I have no one in the second hour. Please call. I got I have his phone number somewhere. I got I have to find that. But, I have uh, like three or four. I, said, I have three or four for him. Uh, he was saying is that he's thinking Japan might be able to be sneaky with us. He was thinking that in Bosnia this year. Yeah, Bosnia is the one that's been talked about a lot. Uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina uh, still right now. Uh, Japan, I haven't heard a whole lot about, uh, but keep an eye on Croatia too. You, you get some, you get some good players there in that team, obviously, and they're they're in, obviously they're in with Brazil, of course, uh, which makes which is not an easy one, especially since they get them in the very the opening match of the tournament. But at the same time, it's like you get it out of the way. If, if you, you know, if you if you frustrate them and maybe get a draw out of it. Uh, you you might be on to something. So those on the positive side, those are the ones talk. On the negative side, and I hate to do this because my brother Chris uh, has put some money down on it. He put, he bets Bel he bet Belgium to win it all, and they've had a couple of injury issues too. So I think that's going to be they were talked about a lot as a possible dark horse candidate. I don't think that's going, necessarily going to happen now. Uh, so that on the on the negative side, and another one, Mexico. When you start off your tournament with having to hire taxis to get you to training because your bus broke down on the way to your first training <laughs> session, so, somebody is trying to tell you something. Okay, you, you, you lost. You they lost their first game under Herrera as the manager, and now this. I, I Mexico. I I have a feeling Mexico are going to go down in flames. I really do. Um, but again, by, by the way, for people listening, if you use anything I say in terms of any, um, how should I put this delicately, financial investment, you're out of your mind. <laughs> yeah, right now, don't even think about it. <laughs> but uh, well, we, yeah, we yeah. used to on my show in college have a segment. I don't know where we got the ring to- the tone for this, but it w- it was um, predictions sure to go wrong because inevitably every week yeah. we get a wrong. And the the one time we got our show got something right, I had a guest host with me. We predicted the Super Bowl. It was the Super Bowl that the um, 
the St. Louis Rams went to. And everybody's everybody's predicting that the Patriots are going to win. It's the Patriots this, the Patriots that. I come on here and say, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to say St. Louis is going to win it. I'm not putting any money down on this because I had none. I'm like, St. Louis is going to win. We ran the tape on that. I I had forgotten about it later. Chemically, I had forgotten about it later. We all come on air the next week going, wow, we got one right out of three years. That takes talent. Okay, that would have been that would have been against Tennessee, not New England. When the Rams win the Super Bowl, they beat the Titans. Okay, it was the next year they played. The, it was thirty six. Two years later, thirty six when they played the Patriots and lost because and everybody okay. thought the Rams would win that one. So yeah, okay, that was yeah, the Titans. I, the Titans, not the Rams. So okay, that's no, no. I know I didn't pick the Titans that year because because the that that Titans year that that's the uh, music that's the Music City miracle. Right, right. Yeah. So I would not have. I knowing me, I would not have picked that. I'm still pissed off at Whitecheck for that one. In fact, I've actually taught. I I found I found Frank Whitecheck on Twitter one day. I'm like, uh, no, I'm not. I'm not allowed to follow that man because I will send off something that will just be me. You, you, you. It reminds me of a story. Uh, something I saw Larry King when he was still on CNN back in uh, 2001. Uh, he had uh, Ralph uh, Ralph Branca, the Dodgers pitcher, who you know 50 years earlier had given up the famous uh, shot heard around the whole world home run to the late Bobby Thompson when the Dodgers and the Giants had that playoff after the Giants had come back for 13 and a half games down. Well, he's got Branca in the studio. Somebody found Bobby Thompson on the phone, got him on the phone, put him through the studio. And as soon as King, King grew up in Brooklyn, uh, as soon as King realized who was on the phone, he leaned forward and glared into the camera, staring down Bobby Thompson through the camera lens, and said, I still hate you. Okay? <laughs> That's what you reminded me up there when you say that about Frank Weitzek. I, I have irrational hatreds in sports that I can't, I really, really can't explain, and I never will. Like T.J. Rubley. I don't know why I don't like the man. He was a backup quarterback for the Packers years ago. This is right as um, Brett Favre is just starting. And I don't know why I don't like the man. I really don't. He was not that good. A, he's probably better than a lot of the – he's probably better than a lot of the NFL the quarterbacks the Browns have had. But I'm. that's not saying too much. Not lately, it isn't. Yeah. Hey, I, I – you tell your rational hatred. Do, do, do yourself a favor. If you ever, if you ever, in, I don't think you'll ever see him in this country. But the the officials from FIBA uh, who were involved in the 1972 Olympic gold medal theft from the United oh, yeah. States in basketball, and not just the referees, but the people in the suits who were there as well. If you ever, if if you ever see them. Do not let me know where they are or how to find them, because I will find them and, and, <laughs> and beat their brains out. You want to talk about irrational hatred? That game comes on. To this day, I have to turn it off. I can't watch it. I cannot, wa- I cannot watch to this day. Oh, did, did you see I had a hard time. I had a hard time with the um, ESPN 30 for 30. They answered, they answered short films. They didn't even about a reunion of those guys, because these guys get together. Most of them get together every year. 
and decide whether or not to, because they refuse to accept the silver medals, and they still do to this day, and they get together every year or so to, dis- to decide nobody's defected yet, you know, 40 years later. I know, but they did a short film about it. It was hard for me. I wanted to see these guys talk about it, hear what they had to say. But they, of course, they showed the footage as well, which had my blood pressure going up 20 or 30 points. I could just feel it as the game went on. Oh, I know that feeling. Um, next week, we have an open show. Obviously, with the World Cup coming up, we'll be talking a lot about the games. I'm covering, I'm covering the USA team for World Football Weekly. It's a um, blog by um, the great Will Burns out of Newcastle. God, I know way too many people in freaking Newcastle at this point. And, and that um, reminds me, something else, that, real quick. We, we talked about the World Cup in 1994 and how it changed. Uh, remember, next Tuesday will be June 17th. And, of course, the World Cup in 1984 kicked off that day with the opening ceremony in the first matches. But it almost got, it got ignored for the most part and because everybody was suddenly riveted to a freeway in Los Angeles watching a white Bronco slowly make its way down the freeway with hundreds of cop cars following it. I mean, to think that the World Cup changed soccer in this country with that start, the fact that everybody, everything in sports in the world in this country was put aside for, for the, the chase of O.J. Simpson, it, it makes that what happened since the, in, in soccer in this country especially from a media perspective, even more remarkable. Yeah, exactly. That was a, that was a fun – those were fun matches. Anyway, well, I'm sure over the weekend some will have a lot of fun with the opening ceremonies. And that there, because of being down in Brazil, there's going to be something explosive down, down there. And I'm sure I'll still be pissy that soccer morning is going off air and I wasn't able to support them throughout all this. Anyway – Keith Kinda and Steve Brandt, I want to thank Russ Goldman and and Christopher Dwyer for being on about this book. Go, go to Amazon and pick up 30, day, 30 Days Across America. Well, Keith, Keith and I have um, leafed through it. Anyway, if and also, if you're an author and you want to have free pub, Keith and I are the best. That's, that's the third, well, fourth, because you weren't on with Mike Maddox. Um, right. <coughs> Um, author we've had on. This has this has been oh, wow. I was almost going to say this has been cottage talk. Wow. <laughs> I don't even show up on that show. Uh, it's been Stephen Brandt, and I, I think I need to put my feet up and rest. Anyway. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.